My name is Scott Chaloner and this is the Leaders' Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a cool but very sunny winter morning here in the capital and I'm delighted to say that coming onto the show to hopefully add even more brightness to affairs is Gwenan Harrison-Jones, head teacher at Cams Hill School, a mixed state comprehensive secondary school based in Fairham. Um, Gwenan, welcome and thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. You're very welcome. Now, um, just talking about sort of the uh, the last couple of years to uh, to start the programme and not to, of course, dwell on negatives. The COVID-19 pandemic has provided such an immense challenge to the education sector, of course, since uh, the outbreak in uh, early 2020. How has it been operationally for you sort of adjusting to those challenges first and foremost? Well, it's a pleasure to be given the opportunity to talk about it. Um, and it's actually very interesting to be offered that reflection um, because it's nearly two years in now. Mm. And as a head teacher, this is my seventh year in post. Never did I, I believe that I would have to diversify as much as I have in the past two years through leadership of a, a secondary school through the pandemic. Um, it has been hugely challenging. And there have been times where I felt fairly low, fairly broken, fairly anxious and fearful and frustrated and possibly even angry. There have been times when I felt concern and worry. Um, but for me, I'm, I'm such a sort of positive optimist, full of hope. That's, that's the way that I lead in, in my professional life. I lead in my personal life. And I think it's, it's maintaining that sense of positivity despite the challenges, I guess, is where I focus. Yeah, it makes, uh, make, certainly makes sense uh, from my perspective. And um, it can be difficult, can't it, sort of maintaining that optimism when, you know, people are obviously looking to you for answers and looking to, to you for leadership. But then, particularly in the early weeks of the pandemic, a lot of that guidance that was filtering down to the education sector from government wasn't always clear. And things were often changing very, very quickly as well. So I imagine it felt that you were quite up against it at times, didn't it? It did. And that for me um, has been a bit of a, a negative legacy, I think, that we have dealt with with incredible professionalism and integrity as school leaders. But I think I did find it challenging when there was very limited time, if any, given when guidance changed, for example. And I, I remember very vividly in the first lockdown um, going to put the bins out, one of those sort of mundane tasks that you do. And I saw one of my neighbours doing the same. Um, and she said, my daughter's been asking what's going to happen tomorrow because you're a head teacher and you must know ahead of the announcement at four o'clock. I think it was those four o'clock briefings that, that, or five o'clock that he was mm. doing at that point. And she said, you, mu you must know what's happening tomorrow. And my daughter's been, been meaning to get me to ask you. And I said, I have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. And she sort of looked at me slightly aghast as if to say, but, you know, you're a head teacher and, and as of tomorrow or tonight at 10 past four, 10 past five, you're going to have to action what's said. And I, I found that really difficult because as a head teacher, as you can imagine, I'm a bit of a control freak. I like to know what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. I like to have the opportunity to plan because leading a large community. So I've got 1,250 pupils at CAMS and obviously my families, my direct community, my staff, I wanted time to be able to work out what was the right thing to do in response to the guidance. And, and sometimes the guidance wasn't particularly clear either. Um, and it felt as if there was a bit of lack of trust, if I'm honest, with not being able to go out to school leaders before the general public was receiving the same information. And I found that difficult because what the guidance was saying was 
you've got massive decisions to make as school leaders and, and we want you to make these. We're not actually giving you a, a full guidance spectrum of how you're going to do that. So it will be different across settings. Um, but we'd like you to do that and we'd like you to do it now. Um, and for me, that was that was really hard and quite debilitating. And of course, the global pandemic is, is I guess, in broad terms, a disaster, isn't it? And mm. disaster leadership is short term. Something major happens, you lead a disaster recovery response, and then it gets better. But we're nearly two years in now, and disaster recovery leadership isn't sustainable because you are so, it's 24-7, it's seven days a week in order to go from a really serious situation to a situation that is manageable and sustainable and and possible. And that's what I found most difficult, I think, is that sense of never-ending mm. Um I guess, to the pandemic as a whole, and yet having to remain um, positive and hopeful and optimistic to staff, to pupils, to parents and carers who look to me as head teacher that things are going to be okay. Um, Mm. And sometimes I didn't know that they were. And yet I was being asked to move to online teaching, for example, to move to key worker school provision. So I was running at one point three schools, that key worker school for um, children of our critical workers, our key workers, to maintain the, the, the fundamental infrastructure of our country for it to keep going. I was running online school for those children sat in their bedrooms on a device. And then I was also having to run the school, the site, the premises, the, the normal day-to-day stuff, if you like. So it was it was and has been an, a steep learning curve and one that's not always been easy to navigate. Mm. And I can imagine sort of keeping that front up as well um, in your sort of leadership position. It's difficult with all of the anxiety kind of behind the scenes. And at a time where we're talking a lot more about our mental health as well, it is important to remember that we need to safeguard our own mental health as well as also look at that of the people around us as well. And uh, quite often when we prioritise others, I mean, we can sometimes neglect to kind of take that step back as and when we need to as well when you're in that sort of full on crisis survival mode, let's say. Absolutely. And that crisis survival mode that's lasting for for months and then years. And for me, um, part of of really strong leadership is authenticity and Mm. remaining authentic when you are yourself. And I'm not naturally a a sort of fearful or anxious person, but there were were times where I was worried and I was frustrated and I, I, I became the sort of I felt like I needed to know more about the science and you know you become a scientist a virologist a counsellor along with being a head teacher a wife a mother as well but that that sense of authenticity sometimes was challenged you know what what was I doing that was really true to my core principles when I didn't actually know some of the ramifications and mental health wise we've seen a, a huge spike in some of the mental health issues that were already existing in our community before, but have been sort of given a greater, sharper lens focus throughout the pandemic. Our young people have spent so much more time isolated in their bedrooms on a device. Um, quite often, and particularly in my community, families have been working from home. So that sense of trying to work at a dining room table, let's say, or, or in a study, and while a child or children are upstairs in a bedroom trying to access online school, there's a, there's a level of tension there. Um, with everybody trying to carry on in, in functioning as normal, but not really knowing what normal was. And that puts a huge challenge on mental health. And I think I've also reflected that there were certainly times where I neglected my own mental health because I found it easier to focus on 
just keep going, keep going for others. And I'm, mm. I'm a public servant. So, you know, there is that sense of selflessness um, in my leadership as well that I enjoy and I've chosen. But um, the sustainability of that over the years, you know, there, there, there was a time where you have to acknowledge that you've got to look at self-care as well. And you've got to, when you're talking to your staff and parents and carers about self-care, you've got to, to practice what you preach. Exactly right. And we sort of touched on it uh, just uh, now there um, as well about sort of the fact that people have been sort of isolated at home and having sort of taken their education sort of remotely, they're doing it through mobile devices, tablets, computers, that sort of thing. And it's obviously not anywhere near as effective as actually being in the classroom and being fully engaged in learning. We've seen obviously that return over the uh, the last uh, few months in the previous academic year, but obviously schools are still in very much a mode of catch up, aren't they? And maybe almost just waiting for the next little bit of disruption to come along. It could well still be the Omicron variant, but it's hopefully looking like it's not going to be um, as, uh, as bad as we first feared. But just how is... Uh, that sort of catch-up process going because we're talking about a lot of education being lost aren't we over the year uh, the last couple of years and getting on top of that is also quite difficult we are and it is challenging but i think it's unhelpful with some of the language and terminology that's been used because mm. when we're talking about academic catch-up um and i'm talking as a as a head teacher but also as a mother as well and i've got a seven and an eight-year-old and they've lost a significant amount of learning time in a classroom um, as have the 11 to 16-year-olds at, at my school here. But perhaps what's made a bigger negative impact on them is the lack of social experience they've had mm. and exposure to friendships, to socialisation at break and lunch times in school, to trips, to visits, to clubs after school. So I'm less concerned, perhaps controversially, of what they've missed in maths as far as particularly my own primary age children, but also some of my secondary age non-exam year group children are concerned. And I'm more concerned about that social deficit, skills deficit that they've got with two major disrupted, nearly three major disrupted years of education due to COVID. Because a great teacher in a good school will catch up on the maths curriculum content missed. Um, but we will never get back that social experience again because the, the, the residential that they didn't do in year seven, um, they're now year eight, year nine. So those experiences, we as a school have looked at where we can fill those gaps. But we've got to, I believe, focus on academic and social gaps, not just the what have they missed in maths that they, they will now need to redo. And that's, that's a little bit controversial because, mm. again, DfE and government focused a lot around the academic gaps and catch up. But we as a school community have tried to be a little bit more cautious and a bit um, bit, bit more genuine in our use of social skills catch-up and opportunities to make sure our young people and families are fully supported in those areas as well. Does that make sense? It does, yes, because when you've been sort of away from the classroom for so long, I think you do need to adjust to sort of getting back into it, don't you? And uh, it's important to acknowledge also that it's not just been as simple as our schools are back open, everybody's back in and cracking on with their education because obviously isolation rules are still in place, aren't they? So we're still not quite sort of past that phase yet, are we? There's still a lot of interruption. There is. And I don't think, unless you work in a school, you realise the extent of how much a teacher's role and job has changed. So let's imagine teaching three years ago, you would teach in a secondary school, in a physical classroom, in our school, between 24 and 28 pupils in a class, and you would teach them in person. You would choose how you set up your classroom, groups, 
rose, horseshoe. Um, and after 55 minutes, that class would go and another class would join. Um, and then we asked, with pretty much zero notice, our teachers to teach from a laptop with an iPad and a visualizer to 24 to 28 pupils at home. Um, and we we expected so much of them with so little training and notice. And I think that can't be underestimated either. And that's still ongoing because if I tell you that in my school today, we've got 23 self-isolators who are positive with COVID-19. So they're spread across five year groups. So a teacher of modern foreign language, history, English will teach physically in their classroom, 25 pupils, and then they'll have three pupils that will log in online. So that diversification has created some brilliant positives, let's not forget, but also some, some quite highly stressful situations with staff mm. having to learn and sort of, I guess, build the wings on the plane as you fly. And that is still ongoing. But at one point, sort of deep in darkest lockdown times, we had some pupils in, in school who were accessing our computer rooms online to log into staff who were teaching what we called real-time provision, live online learning. And we're in a community where we were able to do that and know that our pupils had access. And I think just the last thing to say on that is when you become a teacher, you are uh, somebody who loves people, myself included very much so. And I would still consider myself a teacher um, despite now being a head teacher. Um, but you lose that interaction. So not only are we talking about the social deficit and skills deficit for our young people, but staff went through long periods of time where they weren't interacting physically with young people in a classroom. Mm -hmm. And that was very different as well. So, yes, the challenges remain. We've still got isolation periods, um, but we've learned new skills. And I think that is a huge positive. It is, isn't it? And it's about sort of taking those lessons from sort of this period of crisis management, if we call it that forward, and then using that to really sort of develop education in the uh, in the future, isn't it? Um, do you think that in the longer term, there will always be sort of more digital input into education now, and there will be some of this more sort of remote facility actually utilised, even when COVID is no longer sort of an immediate and present danger and issue? I think there will be. I'm hesitant because I think having talked a lot about those social skills gaps, I would never want online provision to even partially replace mm. the incredible relationship building because that, that's again, is another thing that, that people have missed is those, that ability to build relationships with people professionally, colleagues, pupils. So I think there is definitely a place and I think what it's developed is teacher confidence as well. So, you know, when the um, COVID additional funding was provided, we purchased iPads for staff, which have been integral in a, in a digital shift for us here with some staff who weren't necessarily as confident digitally as they could have been are now much more confident because they've had to be. So I think there is a digital legacy, but I wouldn't want it to replace the real value to relationship building that has it is at the heart of a good school. I think that's very right as well. And I think even if you're bringing technology more into sort of the educational mainstream, I think when, it, when we talk about levelling up, I think you've got to sort of make sure that the digital divide is done away with and everybody's sort of on an equal footing with that. I know, of course, it's not something necessarily that you've experienced um, sort of acutely during the pandemic, but it is something that schools have had to grapple with. So that is something that does have to be considered moving forward as well. It is, and I think there's there's lots of negatives to increased use of sort of technologies. And I'm mindful as a head teacher that we have a school where our young people access lots of different devices of an evening and weekend. And actually, the strength 
to our school is about those interactions, those relationships, the school production, the, the geography trip to Iceland, the PE trips after school. It, it's not about an online culture. Um, far from it. So it, it's striking a balance, I guess. It is, isn't it? Exactly right. And uh, just because you mentioned sort of additional funding through COVID as well, I do want to talk about funding just before we do wrap up on the uh, the programme, because um, there's been a lot made of this sort of announcement from government that funding for schools is going to return to 2010 levels and how that's going to be beneficial. But of course, given that we're sort of 12 years later now and inflation is sort of in the equation school budgets are still not exactly growing by a huge amounts, are they? So that is also something moving forward that education is going to have to continue to grapple with. And it's been a long-standing issue for quite some time now. Funding, yes. Funding will always be a hot topic amongst colleague head teachers. And it is a huge challenge to lead a school and funding is, is tight. Um, I think the, the difficulty that I have is the diversification that we've been asked to undertake over the past couple of years around contract tracing for self-isolation, around becoming a test centre, and all of those things require redeployment of staff. And therefore, it's how you look at how many staff you have and the funding levels to appropriately be able to develop good relationships, have great resources, be able to maintain your site. Um, and I'm a single academy trust here and we've got huge challenges around the age of different buildings on site and heating systems and roofs and and for me good learning can only happen in good learning environments Um, and we need to be funded appropriately and accordingly to be able to maintain those and I have some really tricky decisions around do I replace an art roof or or do I look at a boiler which is not heating consistently and reliably an area of the school um, and that's in addition to all the staffing conversations that I have about um, recruitment and retention of staff, particularly in, in difficult areas. So, yes, funding, it is, it is a controversial and a hot topic. But I, I'm also very keen as a school leader that it isn't the only topic. And actually, it's my duty and my responsibility to do the best I possibly can with the funding that I have. Um, I wish I had more. Um, but I've got to make sure I'm, I'm absolutely committed to the highest possible offer and standards for all of our young people. And that ultimately comes down to teaching and learning. Mm, it does, doesn't it? And over the next sort of 12 months, um, as we sort of get to grips with this uh, new year, it's going to be interesting to sort of see what kind of trajectory, not just the pandemic takes, but also the education sector as a whole as well. And as we sort of get to grips with hopefully the post-COVID world, um, what ideally would you like to sort of see in terms of the school's development moving forward in the short term, Gwenon? I think I touched upon it before when I talked about teaching and learning. And, and mm. in a way, it, it's, um, it's almost disappointing that it's taken me this long to talk about teaching and learning in this discussion. But, you know, focusing on the pandemic, good teaching and um, great resources and fabulous teachers are what makes the school into a great school and therefore our pupils make good progress. And I think recruitment is key, um, recruiting good teachers, being fully staffed, and obviously there are shortage subject areas that we're all aware of. Um, and there, there is a huge challenge for head teachers around staffing, um, looking at how we support pupils to fully access all areas of the curriculum in order to fulfil their potential. So for me, the challenges are around making sure we've got really great teachers in order to facilitate good progress for our young people. 
Exactly right. And you made a really important point as well in that education, it doesn't just help children to develop academically, it helps them to develop socially and sort of bring about those sort of life skills that they need to succeed as well. And that's why sort of getting them back into the classroom has been so, so critical over the uh, the last year. And it's going to be very interesting to sort of see how things sort of transpire over the next few months. And given that there is sort of still a little bit of sort of mist and fog around that, and there is still a little bit of uncertainty, I actually think, Gwen, uh, moving forward, as soon as that fog starts to clear and we understand exactly what is going on, I would actually relish the opportunity to welcome you back onto the programme and just sort of catch up as to where CAMS is at that point in time and where education is as a whole, because I'm sure we'll have uh, far more interesting things to, uh, to talk about then as well. I'd love to. That that would be great because it's about that level of hope and optimism and working with young people. Every day you see that because every day is a different challenge and every day you're not quite sure what you're going to get and receive and respond to. So, I, yeah, I'd love that opportunity. And I think I do also just want to say that head teachers have been so accessible through the pandemic mm. and I think unless you have been in that particular position, there is a slight lack of understanding for the challenges that we've faced. And I think the more we can talk openly about it and how hard it's been, but that's not hard and wishing for sympathy or, or you know, a sense of, gosh, hasn't it been so difficult? Because that's not where I'm coming from. Mm. I've, I've, I've led the school because that's my, my role and that's what I love doing. And I genuinely believe I have the best job in the world. And it is an utter joy to come into this school every day and lead the community. But it has been hard. And I think it's okay to acknowledge that, but to also make sure that we are proud of what we've done as head teachers and school leaders in the way that we've done it. Because that level of accessibility to our community, you know, GPs were running online clinics. There was nobody else that was accessible as head teachers. And I think to acknowledge that is really important. It certainly is. Leaders have made themselves so accessible within the education sector um, over the course of the last uh, couple of years, no more so than head teachers. And they are to be immensely credited for uh, their efforts. And it is an unprecedented challenge. It's a crisis that we've not managed through before. And so, you know, there's when we when we reflect like this, it, you, you, it sort of dawns on you, doesn't it? Just the scale of the challenge and the scale of the response. And it's it's incredible what the uh, the sector has done, isn't it? It's absolutely fantastic. It is. And I'm really proud. I'm proud of working so closely with colleague head teachers, but I'm, I'm mostly proud of staff, pupils and families for getting through this together. And I think if you, if you ask me a question about sort of COVID legacies and COVID positives, there's so much that we've learned that is so positive about our community, about kindness, about gratitude. Never before have we realised how important those things are each and every day, the tiny little things to the big things, not not the, the, the large gestures that involve financial backing, but the small elements of gratitude and how we have appreciated what each other have done and the way that we've done it. And, you know, operationally, there are so many positives as well. We, we have a staggered start to our school day. We have a split lunch. And if you'd have said to me three years ago, you know, you'll have a three-way split lunch in a school of 1,200, I'd have said never because um, what we've had to do is diversify to make sure we've reduced risk. And actually, we found that some of those things work really well. Exactly right. And um, if the crisis has done anything over the uh, the last two years, it's shown that sort of real sort of connect between schools and their communities, haven't they? It's brought us all much closer together. And that is a real positive to take forward from this, as well as all of the, uh, the, the key lessons that we talked about today as well. And I suppose the next thing that hopefully we need to see is more of a connection between 
obviously what happens in schools and what school leaders are doing and also sort of ministerial understanding of those operations as well. And like I say, we touched on funding, but um, obviously we'll um, we'll see how that situation transpires over the next few months because that is something for the future, isn't it? Yes, and there is a slight disconnect. I think that will always be there. I would like it to be less. I would like people to really understand what it is that school communities have been through and continue to go through. And that requires a greater level of operational um, understanding, perhaps from ministers at times, and, and to visit and to see and to um, discuss with school communities what they've done and how they've done it. Exactly right. Let's hope that we do see that moving forward as well. Um, it's a shame, Gwen, that we are just about out of time on the show this uh, morning because I could literally uh, sit down and discuss this with you all day. It's been an amazing experience having you join us on the programme. And as I've touched on before, I'd relish the opportunity to perhaps welcome you back at some point in the future just to see how the situation is uh, developing. That would be great. I would really enjoy that. And thanks again for having me on this morning. It's been a pleasure. Uh, do also take care and stay safe with all still going on as well, just because we're not quite out of the woods with the pandemic situation as of yet. We're certainly not. And it's a knife edge at the moment, isn't it? Between, you know, if you're doing OK, mm. you're doing OK, but it could swing the other way so very quickly. It could, exactly. We've seen just how quickly things can change. That's very, very right. And uh, also to all of our listeners uh, tuning in today as well, I would like to reiterate that message. Uh, do please take care and stay safe with all still going on. And for some of you who may be tuning in and who may be sort of the head teacher of a school or the head of a business or an organisation, if you do feel that you have sort of your own experiences of success, of innovation and of overcoming challenges over the last two years, that you would really like to share with us here at the Leaders Council as well, then you can also apply to be on the show via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply. And it might always be you that we're welcoming onto the programme next. Um, until that next time, everybody, please do take care and goodbye.